for July 6, 2009. It's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 53. Bijanika Wumki. Welcome to the Overthinking It podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. Uh, as we record this, it's the day after the 4th of July, which I guess makes it the 5th of July. And I am your host, Matthew Rather, joined by a, uh, a panel of overthinkers. And we have with us tonight, uh, first in alphabetical order of last name, Matthew Belinky. Hey, it's good to have you back on the show. Good to be back. Good to be back. I, yeah, no, you've been, uh, I guess, off on overthinking retreat, just watching, you know, cartoon all-stars to the rescue uh, on constant repeat or something. I, I always overthink things on Sunday night. I just don't want to share it with the world a lot of the time. I guess so, yeah. Uh, oh, I should have said, the question is, uh, what is your best, your most archetypal 4th of July fireworks song? I, I have a feeling I know what yours is going to be, Matt, but uh, go ahead and tell us. I, I always thought it was interesting that a very sort of stereotypical fireworks song is the AT-12 Overture. Which, of course, when you think about it, is is not only not about the United States, but is about. Uh, I, I guess I guess it would be most ironic if it was about communist Russia, but it is in fact about like you know czarist Russia. Uh, it's about the, the Russian army's defense of Moscow against Napoleon in eighteen twelve, uh, the Battle of uh, Borodino specifically. I'm reading off Wikipedia here. I don't have this memorized, but it's definitely a piece about. You know how great Russia is, and not how great the United States is. Um, and in fact, um, the, the you know I, a lot of the overthinkers w- were in a, a band together in college at Yale University, and the band director uh, Thomas C. Duffy. Not that we actually, not that we bring it up a lot. No, on the but show. it's actually relevant <laughs> to this conversation. I, I, I'm sorry, you can edit this out if you feel like it's no, just no, too. No, no, I, I don't edit the show. That would be too much trouble. <laughs> the, the band director Thomas C. Duffy actually composed a piece called the 1776 Overture, which was sort of like recreated a lot of the structure of the 1812 Overture, but using sort of traditional pieces of Americana like Yankee Doodle in place of God Save the Tsar. Right. Yeah, in place of the Russian. Musical materials, folk musical materials that were the sources for 1812. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it failed to sell like hotcakes, unfortunately. No, but I mean, I, I, I like where he's... I think it's a very overthinking type endeavor to sort of like... Um, correct the 1812 overture and make it more patriotic. It is true. It is overthinking symphonic band music. Like wind band <laughs> music. <laughs> Uh, Next in alphabetical order, Mr. Peter Fenzel. You know, Matt, it's nice to know that when it comes to being first in alphabetical order, as soon as someone comes along with a name earlier in the alphabet, doesn't matter how many podcasts you've been on, you get bumped to the side. Well, you get how bumped, many podcasts you get bumped to was number I first two. in alphabetical order? How many was I first in alphabetical order? And then this guy comes back after an absence, and he gets to be first in alphabetical order? That's nonsense. You know, I, my, you know, I am hurt. I, I got to say, my hurt. last name starts with W, so I was the last guy to do everything in elementary school. Like, uh, like there was a Warner. There was a Lauren Warner who was in front of me, and... Uh, 
and I was always behind Lauren Warner, and I was the last guy, and it traumatized me for life. So you really, you really can sit down and shut up, is what I'm saying. Oh, and also I, was- I, I have an uh, I have an overthinking egg contract that says every time I'm on the podcast, I get to be first, and I get a bowl of green M and M's. He needs you, you and Justin Timberlake. Uh, we have all these special I contracts. Do. Well, they do you make you horny. <laughs> scientifically proven. We know you're not at your best unless you're totally randy with us right now. <laughs> I don't want a, a non-aroused Belinky on the podcast. Man, that's a t-shirt right there. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> you know, we sell t-shirts on the site. If you don't know that, you can go to overthinkingit.com and see some of our t-shirts. The best one, I think, so, lately, the most recent one is uh, I liked bacon before it was cool. Which actually, it's funny, but it's funny because it's true. Mm. I did like bacon before it was cool. If there's a certain kind of t-shirt you like and you'd like to see on the site, leave something in the comments. Because we're right. always looking for new things to sell to you people. Right. And Tell- we love you so much. And we want you to buy our t-shirts and wear our URL around. <laughs> this, semi-annual, think- this semi-annual hosting bill got charged to my credit card last week. So, uh. you know, buy some t-shirts. And hey, would it, ki- <laughs> you know, would it kill you to click on a couple banner ads? Or, uh, you know, when you shop at Amazon anyway, just enter Amazon through the link on Overthinking It so that you... UK, so that you know, we get a, a measly four percent of your of your purchase. Okay, so mom. There-, <laughs> <laughs> there are actually there are a couple of people, maybe a half dozen, who have donated uh, through PayPal in amounts oh, wow. in amounts between a dollar, which is much appreciated, uh, to ten dollars, which is really really much appreciated. And yeah. uh, you know, times as much. Even. Yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, so you know, if you do that, thanks thanks very much for that, and we we appreciate it because it is not. Uh, you know, it is not a cost-free thing. It's a very low-cost thing with the, with the internet, uh, you know, and all this niche culture. And we can really we can support it, you know, with a much smaller audience than say network television. But but I'm getting ahead of myself. We'll get that later in the show. Pete, yo, what do you like for Fourth of July fireworks? I had to sing, and I didn't have to. It was optional. I was at karaoke on Wednesday. It was not mandatory. And I wanted to sing a patriotic song. And my usual patriotic karaoke song, which is actually on the model of Belinky, uh, because I love him singing it patriotically karaoke, is Lee Greenwood's God Bless the USA. Oh, uh, oh, you gotta, you, you stole mine. But no, I'm not going to take that one, though. I'll leave it to the side, and you can pick it up later and talk about its merits if you want. Because this time around, I didn't do that one. This time around, I did something that I felt like just – I felt the vibe was a little bit stronger in me. It was a little bit more about what I thought I really liked about patriotic music. And that was the song called America by a man who was in our home city, my home city – or not home city, but current city of residence um, uh, by Neil Diamond. uh, You know, The one about on the boats and on the planes, they're coming to america it's today never looking back again today anyway um, you know there was um we had a think tank a while back which was best key change in popular music mm -hmm. right and that that song actually was should be in the running or it should be the uh the they're coming to america memorial list or something like that because like every i think every line or every other line at the end of the song goes up a half step and it's it's pretty awesome yeah, it's it's totally it's like uh it's like one of those um monuments from an ancient civilization that winds through a hill and you're not sure how many more steps there are going to be, but you're just following it on faith in the hopes that somehow Neil Diamond is gonna lead you to the top of the hill where you'll have a great view of like the, the Aegean Sea or something. 
Uh, <laughs> interesting about that song is that it's not just about how great America is in general. It's it's about immigration and how great a thing immigration is. Yeah, and that's a part. That's something that when I was a kid, we used to talk up a lot. And maybe it's because I grew up in the New York area, but we all used to study Ellis Island and and talk about the immigrant experience. And uh, that was always the thing about the country that I got really jazzed about. And it's uh, something that doesn't get a lot of play these days for a variety of more and less obvious reasons. But something that I'd like to see make a comeback. Well, yeah. So, I, like uh, as as the West Wing put it, everyone here is from somewhere else, somewhere mm. less free. Yeah, that's also in the Chronicles of Riddick, by the way. <laughs> Except he says it in the dark. <laughs> he has a magical power where he's able to say patriotic things in the dark, as opposed to in the light where most people can say them. Uh, uh, man, I watched that the other day, I, the first three quarters of it. Um, I do love that movie. It, it holds up. Pitch <laughs> we need to do an entire podcast about the Chronicles of Riddick. Oh, please, yeah. let's not. Not joke. Mr. Mark, Lee, Mr. Mark Lee <laughs> sitting there patiently waiting his turn. Patient, patient. Um, how's everybody doing? I, um, before not, I, not, stomping on, not stomping on his fellow podcasters the, the way we all are. Because I'm showing you all respect. That's, that's what it's all about. Fresh off the Bolt bus from Washington, D.C. Uh, before I get to my uh, Washington, D.C. 4th of July uh, and fireworks musical pick i'm gonna go back for a second and talk about the green m&ms i blink it was referring to yeah um, yeah because that's a specific reference to a what was originally thought to be an apophical line in the van halen concert writer which was that they demanded a bowl of only green m&ms or and if they didn't get the bowl of green m&ms it was just like you know trash the place and storm out and not do the show because the uh, arena had not you know fulfilled their uh, the obligations to the stars uh, my understanding is that's actually not apophical and it's actually true that van halen you know put that uh, that line into the, into the concert writer to make sure that the venue was paying attention to the details. And if they weren't getting the small details like the bowl of M&M's right, they wouldn't get the big details, you know, like the, uh, the, the fancy lighting and the uh, scale model of Stonehenge that descends from the ceiling correctly. <laughs> so I don't know if anybody else can corroborate this, that this apocryphal bowl of M&M's is true. Oh, Mark, hey, speaking of scale model of, of Stonehenge, have you seen that the Spinal Tap guys released a new album recently? I, I have seen that, and I was listening to some clips of it. I think it's mostly like re-recorded versions of their old songs. As it well is, music. yeah. I almost but, didn't buy it because I thought it was I thought it was just uh, like a clip show, just a rehash with one or two new songs. But they're all new versions, right? Of, right, their, right. of the of the old songs, right? So I wasn't too jazzed about it, but I might check it out. But uh, back to the topic at hand. Why would um, you do that, Mark? Hold on a second. Can I can I interrupt for just a hot second? Mark, sure, take us back. Take me back. Uh, hot from Snopes.com. Van Halen standard performance contract contained a provision calling for them to be provided with a bowl of M&Ms, but with all the brown candies removed. Status true. That's right. I believe Snopes.com is where I'd seen that. Oh, so it wasn't just green. It was brown removed. Just mm. brown, but presumably both light brown and dark brown. Right. There are two kinds of brown M&Ms. There's like brown and tan. <laughs> that may not have been the case back in the day. I feel like one of those browns is a more recent invention. <laughs> well, maybe, yeah, wasn't it to replace red when red left? Uh, no, I remember there being red, light brown, and dark brown all at the same time. All at the same time, really, when we were kids, so. before that that uh, scare with red dye number, whatever it was, oh, 40, maybe. 40 maybe. Maybe. Maybe, maybe my memory and then, is warped. Then they introduced the blue M&M, and wasn't there a, wasn't there a vote? Like, wasn't America polled, American Idol style, uh, to choose the color of the new M&M? It was That's big. It was, it was the biggest like, pop culture promotion since they let us choose whether the Trix Rabbit will get the tricks or not. 
What did we choose? We oh we de- we chose by like it like you know an eighty percent margin that he should get the tricks, which is very interesting. That like you know because it, it applied, was the whole campaign where he doesn't get the tricks wrong and frustrating and enraging to consumers. And if so, how come they went back to him not getting the tricks after finding out that everyone wanted him to get the tricks? Mm. Yeah. It's- should I get back to the fourth line music? <laughs> yeah, I guess we ran out of steam on that one. Huh? I just felt like it was it came to its natural conclusion. <laughs> when I, all, I knew yeah, that no, was going in the direction fails, of the time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't mean to stomp you there, Fenzel. When all hey, else I, fails, uh, stick to the topic at hand. A novel concept. Okay, so um, I did in fact go to go to Washington D.C. for the Fourth of July, and. Um, I, I wasn't at, you know, in, within range of one of the speakers where they were broadcasting the concert from the Capitol steps. Um, so I used the opportunity to supply my own soundtrack and fulfill a, a lifelong dream, dream, in fact, of using David Arnold's score from Independence Day as my fireworks music. Wow. The, uh, you know, that stuff. That's it awesome. Was great. Let me tell you, it was fantastic. Um, I, 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 I kind of want to say that, you know, there's... Something to be said for you know the communal experience of everybody listening to the same song um, as the fireworks are going off, be it you know the 1812 overture or Lean Greenwood's "Proud to Be an American." But um, you know, there, since that wasn't available, you know, my girlfriend and I we supplied our own soundtrack and um, rocked out to America in our own you know customized niche culture way. It was great niche culture, niche culture, niche. It's all we're all in a niche. I'm in my little niche here. Yeah, I'm in my Nietzsche, actually. And whatever else <laughs> me makes me stronger. And all well, you people can just get out, get out of my business because I'm totally writing all my dark poetry in my corner by myself. In terms of Independence Day soundtrack, I mean, last year, Fenzel, when you ran the, um, the, the, the Independence Day article, 10 things I learned about, I learned about America uh, from Independence Day, I, I made a comment you know, on, on the soundtrack, um, which is a fantastic soundtrack. I don't know if you had anything to add. About that, seeing as you are, you know, a, a well known to be a, a fan of this film. Well, you know, actually, the th- main theme from Independence Day is kind of un- uh, unfortunately and unpleasantly similar to Deutschland Überalles when you think that about it. Is, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but other than that, it's pretty awesome. <laughs> I love the music; I really do. Um, and it, it's definitely a great theme. I think that it, there's definitely something to be said by somebody who perhaps can articulate it in a slightly more intellectualized way than myself, although I can give it a shot, um, as to why certain kinds of movie themes are memorable and inform the subject matter, and other kinds of movie themes which, you know, arrangement-wise, instrumentation-wise, or even structurally are very similar, just fail. You know, like, why is it that the new Star Trek didn't have anything that really jumped out at me as being, you know, embodying Star Trek? You know, and but whereas, like, the thing in Independence Day just totally speaks to me. And they, I, I would dis- very similar. I would disagree with you, actually, about the Star Trek, but that's probably a topic we should save for, for another time. I really thought that the score was, was pretty good. Okay. Um, at least good enough for it to make me run out and download the... Um, you know, the end credit song that had all the main themes and whatnot in it. Yeah, but it's... But that was the... You see, that was an original for the movie. It was, yeah. The end credit song? No, they, they played uh, Alexander Courage's... Da, 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 ba, da, ba, da, ba, da, yeah, but after that, then, you know, it runs through a medley of all the other themes that they use. Oh, really? Well, I was talking uh, about the, the music that's actually in the movie, like the backing music for the events of the film. That's always been... I'm, I'm not really all that interested in what's going on over the credits unless Seal is involved. Uh, and in which case, 
Oh man. <laughs> or, oh boy. Or, or R. Kelly, right? Like or R. Kelly. God a city, forbid both of them. A god, if they did do that, oh my god. A city oh, of justice. So a city of peace. I mean, Gotham, I think God. everyone here would agree that it should be required by law that all big summer blockbusters have, you know, a- a pop songs over the end credits about the subject material of the movie. Matt, I have no idea why you would say such a thing. <laughs> How can you like, come to such a conclusion? It's not like any of us here have, you know, you know, written our own power ballad for a summer action movie which did not have its own power ballad. That's like, I want to hear Cree to do, like, a Star Trek song. Mm-hmm. I, th- I like I like that idea a lot because summer movies are all about events, right? Big blockbuster events that we all share, and and I think that uh, a pop song is part of the whole land sea air approach to getting that stuff done. And it's a shame when they don't do it. It's really a, it's a lost opportunity, is what it is. Well, it's been and it's been going on forever, right? Like, uh, and sometimes I mean, as Matt pointed out in in his article, which I think was our first sort of viral success on overthinking it, which was. Uh, eight hit songs from obscure movies, um, like songs like "You Light Up My Life" from a movie you've never heard of, but you've heard of the song. Like you know, putting a song in a movie like that and then then cross promoting it. But the the one in my lifetime that I remember as being the first one was Prince and the first Batman. Mm. Uh, and the first Batman uh, in movie. the Bat Dance. Yeah, but there was a whole record. He put out a whole record. Right. Huh. Yeah, like I, I remember this one time I had to do sound design for a short pl- uh, series of one acts, and the director really wanted to play the uh, the public enemy uh, he got game uh, song. Do you remember that? It was a collaboration. I forget who sings. Mark, who sings that song? The, There's something happening here song. Oh, that's um, oh, uh, Buffalo Springfield. Yeah, yeah. So it was a collaboration between Public Enemy and Buffalo Springfield, where they did rapping over the uh, the something happening here. Yeah, boy, yeah. What it, it, you know, that sort of thing. And it was for the the uh, Denzel Washington movie. He got game. So I went out and I bought the soundtrack, or what I thought was the soundtrack. He got game in the hopes of getting that track, so I could play it over one of the pieces. But instead, it was if I'd read the fine print, he got game. Uh, music, the music of Aaron Copeland inspired by the motion picture. I was like, what? So it's a CD of Aaron Copeland music with a big picture of Denzel Washington playing basketball on the front and totally not what I wanted what? at all. Yeah. Like, like, wait, wait. Fanfare of the Common Man, Aaron yes. Copeland? Yes, yes. Nice. Wait, wait so I, did, I didn't know Aaron that Aaron Copeland. Copeland had seen that movie. <laughs> Apparently he's a big fan and he made a whole bunch of his own major concert works from 50 years ago. My friend Mr. Long. Google will know about this. You guys talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> it's possible that the music was mo- used in the movie or something, but um, as like background music, because I didn't see the movie. But it certainly wasn't the pop single from the movie. My so mine obviously I gave this away before is uh, Lee Greenwood's "God Bless the USA." Uh, you know, if if tomorrow I'd lost the things I'd worked for all my life and all that I had left was just my children and my wife, I'd still thank my lucky stars that I was living here today. Because the flag still stands for freedom, and they can't take that away. Now, Matt, I don't want to spin us off too far on another tangent here, but um, your 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 take on that song and 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 irony and your your feelings towards it. Oh yeah, no, I I really like that song. I gotta say, right, like 
Um, growing up in Los Angeles, uh, the best fireworks were at Disneyland, but the second fireworks, second best fireworks were at the Queen. Well, the second best fireworks were at the Hollywood Bowl on the Fourth of July, but the third best fireworks <laughs> were at the uh, Queen Mary Resort in Long Beach, where the ocean liner had been had been docked and turned into a resort hotel, and it actually had next to it. Uh, it was the Queen Mary and Spruce Goose like uh, hotel resort, and they had Howard Hughes' plane, Hercules, the the wooden plane that got called the Spruce Goose, and that name I guess stuck because it's more marketable. Um, and so outside the dome where they kept the Spruce Goose, uh, on like weekend nights in the summer, there was a a tribute to the red, white, and blue with like singers and dancers and fireworks and stuff like this. And you know, I was too young to know about jingoism or, you know, too young to be disdainful of the the country that gives me the freedom to be disdainful. So I, uh, you know, I was just totally into it. And that was the first uh, pop song that I, well, I don't know if the, it's a country song, whatever, that I, that I learned the lyrics to as a child of, you know, six or seven. So, you know, it has a special place in my heart, much like Epcot Center, Right though, if you've been to Epcot Center in your twenties, it's extremely boring, right? And there's not a lot there. Uh, and it's what is insulting? How they're constantly showing you long advertisements, right? Exactly, and it's all yeah. The sponsorships are 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 a little onerous, but um, but I loved Epcot Center as a young child, and so my love for Epcot Center will endure. Though I have in fact learned better. Uh, in the meantime, and I feel the same way about Lee Greenwood, and uh, I'm proud to be an American. For at least I know I'm free. And I won't forget the men who died who gave that right to me. And I'll gladly stand up next to you and defend her still today. Because there ain't no doubt I love this land. Love this land. This land. <laughs> God bless the USA. And then, and then like these fireworks would shoot up into the sky. It was awesome. It was a, it was a multimedia extravaganza. Or, or a kind of brainwashing. I don't know. Is there something weird about fireworks being... Uh, like, you know, I guess fireworks, what, commemorate the explosions of war, of the Revolutionary War and the... Uh... I think fireworks are just cool, and we sort of ascribe meaning to them for the sake of, like, you know, tying it all together. But, like, I don't know, I just feel like fireworks are... There's nothing specifically American about them. Well, so, the like, Chinese making fireworks... Using... Yeah, the Chinese have been using fireworks for, for hundreds, not thousands of years. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. I saw not Mulan. Thousands of years. Not thousands of years. Probably not hundreds of thousands of years. years. China hasn't been around for hundreds of thousands of years. <laughs> <laughs> he said hundreds, if not thousands. When, did, oh. when was gunpowder invented by the Chinese? When, when did fireworks come about? I'm going to ask the Asian my, guy. Yeah, no, my good friend Wikipedia. Will <laughs> Can you just rename this podcast like Three Guys Wikipedia Stuff? <laughs> By the way, I have some information about He Got Game. Yes. Uh, the movie is largely scored by the music of Aaron Copeland. Okay, fair enough. Well, that, they did that, that the, the actual the, in, within the movie they use uh, numbers such as the Open Prairie, Appalachian Spring, John Henry, Lincoln Portrait, and of course. Hoedown, which is not about hoes. <laughs> Hoedown uh, is yeah, the no, it's, it's dinner song, right? Yes. It's, it, yeah. it's, 
It's officially been renamed Beef is What's for Dinner. Yeah. <laughs> it's right, exactly. Like when, when uh, Aaron Copeland says hose down, he means a different thing <laughs> than Snoop Dogg means when well, he, he says. He proceeded with G's up. G's up is actually. G's up is the first movement of the suite whose second movement is hose down. Third movement. Yeah, you. Mother, something's bounced to this. Yeah, mother effing <laughs> bounced to this. <laughs> Want to keep our clean rating, folks? Keep it clean. <laughs> Keeping it um, clean. Well, yeah. So, uh, okay, we gotta go. We gotta go. It's uh, we have a ton of fantastic listener feedback, and uh, like episodes. Um, 49 and 50, we, it was wall to wall listener feedback just cause we're so, we're so thrilled when you, uh, are engaged by the things we say and write in to argue or to suggest or to, uh, uh, ask questions. We, we especially like questions because it makes us feel like we're authorities on something. Matt, would you say that receiving uh, listener feedback is thrilling? <laughs> this would be, uh, you know, a sort of thriller <laughs> part of the show. Yes. Okay. It, it uh, by, is... by the way, just want to, before we get into loser feedback, I just want to comment that while I was in DC, uh, I went to three eating slash drinking establishments in a row on Friday night, and uh, each one was playing liberal amounts of Michael Jackson. I mean, that stuff is saturating. Um, the you know his music is saturating the public space. Still. It is, and you know what? Like, I feel in a way. I, I suppose you can't go overboard even with even with the greatest moments of Michael Jackson. But I feel like in a way it's it's long overdue. It's a long overdue resurgence of Michael Jackson's movie music Matt, because Matt, I feel like he stops. What, what do what do I say about that phrase, Matt? What do I say about the phrase in a way? What do you remember do you, what I say about that phrase? No, I don't. Way, You've never brought this up. The phrase in a way, roughly translate is everything I'm about to say is false. <laughs> oh right, we did talk about that before. It was very, yeah. it was very early on in the thing. My, yeah. um, my equivalent phrase that I always call people out for is, "I'm just saying." <laughs> you know, I'm just, I'm just saying because it's, it's Matt. all, it's always true, but it means literally nothing. In a way, everything means literally nothing. <laughs> in a way, in a way, none of the words that we say actually have any meaning. In a way. <laughs> in a, yeah. Uh, don't you think that the resurgence of Michael Jackson music is long overdue? Because those songs are great. And they have not... When did they, when did they desurge? Did they ever desurge? Did I they guess, need to you know, I, I can remember a good five-year stretch when the music of Michael Jackson... I, I didn't really ever hear a single Michael Jackson song out at, you know, the Starbucks or anything. Oh, the Starbucks. I'd like to differ. I would say that during, that's, during where, the- that's where I sit in my in my skinny jeans and uh, <laughs> you know check. Uh, I don't know what do I check. I listen to Vampire okay, Weekend okay, on my can. on my MacBook. I'd like to differ. I'd say that during the the few years that the the four of us overlapped in college, um, the dance parties which we hosted in various dorm rooms uh, certainly featured at least one Michael Jackson song per party at least one i mean maybe okay so in the resurgence has you know maybe a, a brief resurgence before his death that number had gone up to two in the late uh 2000s or so yeah maybe we're seeing the resurgence in the playing of a more of broader diversity of tracks you know maybe it's not just billy jean beat it thriller Smooth um, criminal well i don't even hear smooth criminal that often outside the context of mourning 
But, uh, I mean, I love that song. Don't get me wrong. I've watched Moonwalker all the way through. I love me some Smooth Criminal. But you hear Man in the Mirror a lot these days. I've heard uh, people play and want to be starting something more often. So I guess maybe there is a bit of a resurgence in terms of the diversity of the songs that are being played, right? Oh, the body. Okay, of- fair enough, right? Yeah. No, I'm, I'm agreeing with you. I'm, I'm disagreeing with you so I can then agree with you and then force you to agree with me. Um, it's sort of this judo move right. where I try to step out of the way of what you're saying and use your own weight to force you forward. Um, I guess something like that. yeah. yeah Pete. You, you, Pete, you know who else did that? Who? Hitler. <laughs> well, we did Godwin our whole podcast. <laughs> We're gonna lose our Godwin free rating on. All right, Alex from Omaha. Uh, hey, and Alex, by the way, in my epic in my epic cross country drive. Uh, I, I think I will be passing right by the <laughs> sorry, I gotta interrupt myself. Uh, Pete, the point is I read <laughs> Pete, is, Pete is typing things into our back channel. Uh, into our into our uh, uh, chat window back channel. The I, I've been recently reading something by Schopenhauer uh, called like the art of controversy or something like that, where he gives you, you know, it's, it's actually like, it's the early link bait. It's like 38 ways to win an argument or something. Mm. And, you know, one is uh, like, and there are things they are very technical, but they are like really great sort of de- intellectually dishonest judo moves to, uh, to seem to win an argument rhetorically. One is to um, get your opponent to grow grant enough of your premises that you can just railroad over their objections and claim that they also must grant your conclusion as well. Mm. And, but one is to, um, is to uh, compare, um, uh, compare the opinions held by your opponent to the opinions of certain odious persons. And and then to to claim that because those odious persons uh, held those opinions uh, that you uh, you must you also must be odious like those those odious persons. So it just came to mind when you were talking about like uh, like rhetorical judo moves. Uh, I thought Schopenhauer. Ah, I can out Schopenhauer you here. Uh-huh. Uh, I I did not mean to uh, to. Compare um, me to Hitler? Yes. No. <laughs> <laughs> to, say, to say that you are in any way Hitler-esque or are anything but a person of the, 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 the highest character and uh, you know, personal qualities defining a man. I'm taller than Hitler was. In a way, in a way, and, we're all in a way, taller. In a way, we're all taller. Than him. Uh, <laughs> in a way, Hitler is the shortest man of all that ever lived. Um, in a way, in a way, he was sort of a carnival freak. So, who... so Fenzel, I, I just want to, I want to be perfectly clear. Uh, my considered opinion is that Fenzel is nothing like Hitler. So first, I get bumped out of alphabetical order. Second, I'm compared to Hitler. Third, I'm given this long apology, which is kind of insulting. Uh, what do you got for me? What's coming up next? How else are you going to hit me over the head with a two-by-four today? What's the folding chair that's coming up my face? <laughs> What's the worst thing to be compared to Hitler? <laughs> I don't know. You could say bad things about my family, but please don't do that because some of them are probably listening to the podcast. No, they're great. We love your family. They listen to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone who listens to the podcast is okay in my book. Excellent. Of Peter's family. 
<laughs> Danka, Danka Shane for listening to the podcast. No, uh, that's Neil Diamond right there. Bring it full circle. <laughs> They're coming to America. I'm driving across America, and actually, uh, the lat long that Alex from Omaha, right on I-80, gives us. I'm, I think I'm, I'm going to take I-80. Unless you have a better route. Hey, any listeners know a better route across the country uh, for August than I-80? Uh, hit us up at podcast at overthinkingit.com. Uh, he's from uh, 41 degrees north, 95 degrees uh, west. For, I should say 41.2689 north, 95.7901 degrees west. And he says, uh, I know I'm a little late, uh, late to the draw, but uh, on the draw, I think. Uh, but I would like to hear more about video games, mostly because video games are a rising part of pop culture. Uh, Alex, I totally agree. And I am putting the call out right now for more guest articles, more listener voicemails uh, about video games. It's, uh, it's something that we should cover more. And uh, when we get... Uh, you know, when we get some writers who specialize in that kind of thing, I will be as happy as you are. Agreed. Man, to think that there would ever be a day when I did not consider myself a specialist in video games. You know, the road of life is a long and winding one that takes you to strange places. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Pavithra, who does not give a lot long, but does give an address, which I will plug, which is uh, thesilentqlog.blogspot.com, thesilent, T-H-E-S-I-L-E-N-T-Q-L-O-G, dot blogspot.com uh, says, I'm typing this as I listen and chuckle and work uh, while doing some work. Really, I do work. Uh, and I know I want to be able to repeat the things that make me laugh on the podcast and email them to friends who would appreciate. Uh, so I would like a transcript, a request for a transcript. Uh, and then she goes on to say some other things. Um, but but to essentially reiterate the request for a transcript. I would love to have transcripts of these shows for a lot of reasons. Uh, their transcripts of podcasts are good SEO because Google can index the transcript, and so the topics that we talk about in the podcast come up in the transcript. Uh, you know, and you know, people could stumble across the uh, the show a little more. Like, uh, I'd love it, but it is extremely time consuming to produce. A tra- I mean, have you ever sat down and tried to? type from an hour's worth of dictation yes it's yeah. not a lot of fun it takes a long yeah. time yeah right a, a lot actually, of- i was actually working on a uh, a uh, a show on uh, the speed channel about an uh, auto auction of rare antique autos so i had to transcribe hours and hours of interviews about people's restored 1967 corvettes so yes <laughs> was it what, what was your technique? Did you play it on half speed or something, or did you just hit pause a lot? I would, I mean, I, I would challenge myself by, but this is the way I'd entertain myself through the day, being like, this time, can I do 20 seconds? And I would play 20 seconds and then try to see if I could get it exactly right. And usually I'd screw up like, you know, four or five words. But then, like, every once in a while, I'd be able to get like 20 seconds of talking down like perfectly right the first time and then i would like allow myself to like you know check walk ad to see if there was anything new and that's how i made it through the days wow <laughs> you asked. That you're, you're gonna tell your kid your grandkids those stories man i had to walk uphill to both ways when we were in the yeah. war we had to before, i had before to we had 20 seconds in a row before i got to look and see if there was something on gawker man 20 seconds <laughs> But 20 perfect seconds. Oh, never mind. I'd like to see you transcribe. <laughs> we should have like a transcribe a thon. 
We should raise money. We should, you should pledge money to say how much we can transcribe, and then we'll transcribe, and we'll take your money. Yeah, right. And how many words? Yes. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, I, I'll, I'll accept pledges. I will accept for a donation to this site, uh, make your pledges, how many words I should transcribe from something in order to get your pledges. And I will pick it. It's of my, either my choice or you can choose. But if you choose, it's a minimum of one cent per word for me to transcribe it. Oh, it I, I should say, right, like uh... – like we should do it like this, Pete. Like right, like the number of dollars that you donate—that is the number of words that we will transcribe. Yeah, we could probably get away with cents. They'll probably think that it's not a lot of money if we do cents, and then we can do like all of Rudyard Kipling's body of work, and like we can make enough money to pay our bill. When you say transcribe, <laughs> I'm visualizing like you'd have to listen to like a book on tape of all of Rudyard Kipling's work, and then right. write it out again. Like read out loud by William Hurt or something. Which and I then take like your best guess at like where the paragraph breaks are. Yeah, and uh, actually, they'd be tough to transcribe poetry with line breaks in it because the guy wouldn't necessarily let you know where it was. It would That's be w- it would be impossible to transcribe free verse, right? But like the whole point of I don't know the whole point of accentual syllabic verse, especially rhymed, is that. You know, you do know where the line breaks are. Like, I don't think that's ex- the whole point. <laughs> that's not the whole point of it, is knowing where the line breaks are. You're right. You're right. You know who else you know who else thought that uh uh you know who else agreed with me about that? Hitler. Hitler, oh I, I like how Boom. this talk about a less elaborate scheme to get us to transcribe things is, is going on here when you know all that time spent Doing that scheme to transcribe things could be used by us to transcribe the podcast episodes. <laughs> this like, is a good I'm just, point. I'm just saying. <laughs> why, why do the try? Like, tell me where the line breaks are, right? Like, if you can talk with crowds and keep your virtue, or walk with kings nor lose the common touch, if neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you, if all men count with you, but none too much. If you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run, yours is the earth and everything that's in it. And which is more. And that was a hundred words because uh, uh, (laughs) that was a hundred words. So I have to stop there. Who is that, by the way? <laughs> by Rudyard Kipling. <laughs> <That was if. laughs> You'll be a man, my son. That's the uh, that's the end. Uh, it's about you know the British Empire. Never mind. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, you know, I just, there wasn't any minorities in it being slaughtered. Yeah, no, I think that's that's kind of that's the point. That's that's the I- ironic point. Uh, Aaron and Olivia wrote in uh, each about. Um, about our call to find female panelists for the podcast. Uh, don't be discouraged by the fact that, that Shana was on. Shana can't make every week, and you know, being being fifty uh, percent of the being that women are fifty percent of the population, we may have as many as two on you know the ro- the rotating uh, roster of panelists. Uh, so if you are interested, in, if you are you know you have two X chromosomes and are interested in. Uh, Hanging with the overthinkers, uh, you know, give us a shout and we will we will still do it. Okay, let's get in some voicemails. By the way, two X chromosomes in every cell, not overall. No, that doesn't count gametes. It gametes doesn't, we're not counting gametes? Gametes only have 23 uh, chromosomes, right? They don't have the pairs. So you, you have to be careful about, you can't have two X chromosomes in a gamete. 
Okay, so how many X chromosomes are we really talking about here? Well, you're talking about all the body cells, but not like ova. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we're not saying – but Blinky was saying, right, we're not saying two X chromosomes in your whole body. Right, we're saying that like oh. two X chromosomes per you know, nucleus. Yes, but you have to exclude the cells that don't naturally have two X chromosomes, even right. in women. Two X chromosomes in your non-lady part <laughs> nucleus. And also, if you're XXY and you you self-identify as a woman, that's fine. You know, yeah. I mean, I think. No, hey, you coming to talk about that? <laughs> even if you're XYY, look, we accept all people here, and I know that these are real medical conditions that real people have to deal with. And if you can talk about transformers for 15 minutes. Or listen to us talk about it, not want to punch us in the face, then your genetic material may or may not be relevant, and you might be a redneck. I think is what <laughs> <laughs> you might you might be an overthinker. Yeah. If you mow your lawn and you find a last Starfighter DVD, you might be an overthinker. <laughs> hey, the uh, the talking um, about two X chromosomes makes you want to dose Ekkies. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff Foxworthy, where is he now? He's hosting Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader? Yeah. Oh, there you go. There's an obvious answer to that. He's also also one of those guys, though, right? Like, he he served a totally different niche than the one that I, you know, belong to, right? Like, the one that you're currently podcasting of comedians. (laughs) (laughs) People with actual jobs. You really oh I'm sorry, I feel like I really hurt your feelings before, Pete, when I said you were like Hitler and stuff. Look, I, I try to have a gag. Well, if you said I was like Jeff Foxworthy, I would have taken it as a compliment. <laughs> but being like Hitler is probably an insult. If you, unless you're talking about my mustache trimming skills, in which case you would be saying I was precise if poorly timed. Or you know, or being a they, painter they both or something. Have actually amazing mustaches. <laughs> That's true. That's true. If you have a good, if you do a good job trimming your mustache, you might be Jeff Foxworthy or Hitler. <laughs> Are there any others that fill that category? If you're maybe smarter than a fifth grader, but maybe not, you might be Jeff Foxworthy or Hitler. Or uh, Val Kilmer from Tombstone. Yeah. Let's no, go. That, to, uh, let's uh, let's go to a voicemail. Yeah, let's do that. We've, we've been doing talking about uh, niche culture. Let's uh, let's go to a voicemail. It's been an hour Hello, or uh, my name's Harry, and I'm calling you from uh, latitude 51 degrees, 25.7 minutes north, and uh, longitude 0 degrees, 7.5 minutes west, uh, London. In, in fact, so my question to the overthinkers is. Given the current trend towards niche culture, with things like journalism and music becoming ever more targeted towards audiences, and uh, groups of people defining themselves by that culture, uh, how far down this road do you think movies will go, uh, given they already separate themselves into genres and so such? Uh, Well, I'm a big fan of the site and the podcast. Uh, Good luck in the future, and uh, overthink away. Goodbye. Okay, thank can you. I can I Yeah, jump thank you very first? much. That was by the way, that was not degrees. I don't know if I don't know if everyone if everyone picked that out. I I I just love the British. Yeah, what do you think? Oh, sure. I think a lot of this uh, the, the the niche, you know, the these creation of various media niches um has a lot to do with the democratization of distribution. Um, right? It's very easy to distribute video content, YouTube, you know, it's like short form TV shows over the internet. It's very easy to create and distribute music over the internet. Like, you know, you got your Jonathan Colton 
who's cranking songs out of his bedroom and broadcasting them out over the internet. Um, and so we always the, bring him up because we're his target audience. And we are huge fans as well. And we also, we well, also, we all went to the same school, though we were not well, there well, at the same time as Mr. Colton or Mr. Hodgman. Yes. Um, I will say that movies um, aren't going to quite go in that same way because the, the democratization of distribution means uh, you can't quite apply the same thing to the Cineplex, the big screen, right? It is by nature a big screen. And there's a communal um, uh, event type thing associated with seeing a movie, which you can't quite easily replicate um, as easily as you can, you know, distributing a song across the Internet. So I will say that, the, you know, movie making has been democratized a little bit, right, with, you know, the technology and the ease of making a movie and distributing it in certain ways. But it's never going to quite, you know, put a dent and you know, make a fundamental change into the into the, the big feature film type thing of a major studio. And I mean, a part of it is that movies, although they become a lot cheaper in the last 10 years, I think digital filmmaking has really made it possible to produce movies at a budget which, you know, wasn't realistic, you know, in, in, ever before. It's still an order of magnitude more expensive than, like, recording an album, you know, with GarageBand. Um, and so that, like, I think because the barrier for entry is harder, you need investors, you need, you know... You, you need to appeal to a broader audience because reaching the niche isn't necessarily going to pay for all your special effects or you know color processing or whatever it is that costs so much money. Hey, as the producer of the 2008 uh, Best Providence Film in the Providence, Rhode Island 48-Hour Film Festival, can I speak on this topic? Please do. <laughs> the niche production of movies. I think that there's a bit of a semantic trap here, which is that you can get to a point where you've devolved the production of this thing and you've shrunk it down enough that you can make it niche, but you, at that point, at some point between point A and point B, it stops being formally called a movie, right? Like, what's really the formal difference between movie and television? Uh, I think that, that this question... Television's better a lot recently? Yeah, it's totally, it's just totally better or worse, right? That's the only difference is one is better than the other. No, no, I mean, it's just like it, the difference between movie and television is the method of distribution. Uh, but I mean, there are certain formal differences that are informed by the method of distribution. But um, when you're talking about sort of, you know, moving pictures, there's a lot of leeway in terms of the creation and distribution of moving pictures where the same thing might change and come at you from a different direction, but it's going to have a different name because it looks a little bit different or because of the changes that you made to it. I mean, there already is like YouTube and there's already like regional and local film festivals. I mean, it, it is out there. It already is. Niche culture on the minute level already exists. And it's just a matter of legitimizing it. Um, not that you need to legitimize it, but like whether we choose to treat it as professional, whether it qualifies as professional, and when it qualifies as professional. And I think that's really the difference, is the two differences are, well, you can niche it all you want, but at some point you're going to stop calling it a movie just because movie kind of is defined as not niche. And secondly, um, it already is there. It's already, everything is already happening. All culture is local. Um, but we have this designation for this sort of pervasive natural, national culture that we're deliberately excluding a lot of things from. And we have to recognize what we're excluding and that it exists. And if you want to legitimize it, there's a lot of locally made movies that are really good. Um, they tend not to be particularly long 
wrong a lot of the time because of the resource cost. But, uh, you know, go support your local artists. I mean, I perform in a local theater. We do local movies. You know, they might be in your town, you know, even if you're in, in England or Australia or any of these other places. I know that there are strong artistic communities in all these places that are putting stuff together for you. Right, like and there will be, a, there'll be a digital film festival or something like that or a short a short film festival or a, you know, a one act, a community one act or a semi-professional like one act play festival or a night of improv comedy or, you know, an art opening or something like that. Yeah, but no, I, we're, I think, yeah. we're all for the, We're all for you going to things like that. But I think the big question is when are movie studios going to start making like a different version of Transformers for like different age groups or for different parts of the country, right? Is well, that what you he's... know, in a way though, they already do make different versions of these things, right? It's just that it's just that the idea is to funnel you into the to funnel you into the movies, right? There are these you know, viral pro- video promos, like there was one with the computer-generated Megan Fox. I think there right. was an official thing uh, w- with Transformers. Then there's also, like, there's a Transformers video game, which speaks to a mass video game audience, but that still is a, a niche audience compared to the audience for theatrical motion pictures. And, uh, you know, and, and on, these things, these things... You know who's really good at it, actually, in television is Showtime, where they mm. do... Um, they do like series ancillary series for their uh, pay cable series and release them on YouTube and their own you know purpose built websites and and uh, you know and things like this. So it's something that like the um, you know the the big players, the big moneyed players, uh, the corporate studio players are getting into are getting into this game. They're you know I think they're not doing it well because. Part of the part of the thing about internet video is that it it has a lot of it is has grown up from the grassroots, and so it's about uh, it's about community membership as much as it is about the uh, particular form of mm. the you know of the the work. So um, you know, so you can't. I mean, as a Showtime, you can't just you know put a bunch of videos on YouTube. Uh, you gotta you know I don't know build a community around it around it somehow. But I, you know, I, so look, I, I think that it is, you will see, um, I think you will see things, you will see fiction film. I mean, you will, you will see sort of stories, filmed entertainment that is narrative, uh, that is targeted at a specific audience using the tools of digital filmmaking, which are orders of magnitude less expensive than uh, the tools of, of so-called traditional filmmaking. And that, you know, with that, because it's so much less expensive, you can get by with a much smaller audience. And so you can speak to a smaller, you can speak to a smaller thing. I think also though, like uh, we're, we're at the cusp of a, of a revolution in video, right? Where, where, a, where we're going to start using video because we can now, we can all make it now and we can all move it around a lot easier uh, than it used to be um, to make it and move it around. So that a lot of, uh, a lot of what we do now in text or even in audio, like this podcast, we're going to start doing in video eventually. Mm. Or uh, not even eventually, like we're, we're going to start doing in video within the next... Uh, I- Sorry? Five minutes. <laughs> Five minutes. <laughs> well, no, this show is not going to be video anytime soon. It, it just, you know, it does add, it does add a whole layer of complexity. But the, um, 
but I would absolutely like if we lived in the in the same city, I would be pushing that we that on Sunday nights we get together in a place and do a video show just because that's you know that's the way that's the way it's going. I heard uh, Alex Lindsay of the Pixel Core, who's a guy who does a lot of podcasts on the Twit Network and on the Pixel Core Network. So someone you know say um, when you look at when you look at the uh, the bookstore right, which is a mature market. Uh, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years of books being made. Uh, you get like 75% nonfiction, 25% fiction. And um, when you look at uh, when you look at video, you get you know pretty much the opposite in 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 the way we consume video: 75% fiction, 25% you know news or nonfiction. And that 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 is going to that's going to reverse over time and there's a huge opportunity there's a huge opportunity which is not to say that every movie will become a documentary but uh but it is to say that the, when we use video like the instruction manual will be on video you know and the newspaper will be on video and the uh i don't know what else what else do we do the the billboards will be video and the um i don't know sorry i, I feel like i'm off on a rant did we answer about niche culture? I, I guess to kind of address, uh, you know, one other thing that, that Pete was starting to get at, and I, he, I think we're, he dropped off. We're going to get him back soon. We're going to back. Uh, is that, you know, you know there's a kind of an equity thing here, right? And, which is that um, a, an independently produced, like the Jonathan Colton song, which is, you know, totally independently produced, can exist kind of as, a, as an equal uh, member of my iPod playlist, Right, you know, I, I will shuffle from a, you know Led Zeppelin song to the Jonathan Colton song, and they kind of stand on equal footing, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Whereas, think, and that's that's huge, right? Whereas you know the two-hour-long feature film type thing, we're never going, we're not going to get to that level any anytime soon in a couple of different ways. When I say to that level, um, one is you know sort of the you know production quality of those types of things again going back to the whole order magnitude and more expensive thing but as well as kind of the uh the, the that popular element of popular culture right whereas you know it's easy for you know thousands if not millions of people to have heard of jonathan colton and be fans of it but and you know the sort of um independent niche film thing yes you know two hour you know independent documentaries are filmed and released all, all all the time but they're seen by so few people at these you know independent film festivals and things like that we were just talking about that um they don't quite you know constitute that same you know sort of uh what's the word i'm looking for uh, critical mass you know to get that sort of pop culture thing that another type of indie that that the indie music type thing is able to do yeah, and I mean, I think I don't want to assume that niche culture. We're all agreeing without discussing that, like it's a great thing, and wouldn't it be great if all culture could move in that direction? No, it's it's more that isn't it? You know, isn't it great that there is this new alternative, and that it that it becomes possible to make economically sustainable entertainment products for a much smaller audience? Right. right. Hey, can I uh, make one more comment on yeah, the subject? Yeah, we, I'm glad we got you back. What's up? Yes, sir. So there's a great piece, and this is from 1960 in the Harvard Business Review, and I read it recently, a classic Harvard Business Review article called Marketing Myopia by a guy named Theodore Levitt. And the main thrust of this article, which I think is really important to thinking about this question, is that companies get fixated on thinking about what they make 
um, as what their business is. Like we are a car company, we make cars. And but as the demands of the customer change, uh, making your cars for cheaper um, or making your cars you know better is not necessarily going to keep you in business. And becoming fixated and defining your business by your product is a mistake. And the way that you should define your business is the need of the customer that you're filling. So I think one of the reasons why we run into this sort of semantic difficulty talking about movies, which I was talking about before, is that we're defining movies as the product that is produced by the Hollywood studios, not the demand for that product that's in the the popular um, consumer base. So I think the real question is, is this popular consumer is going to demand something that's more sort of locally produced and, and locally uh, distributed, um, not necessarily whether the studios are going to find it in their interest to do it. Um, and I think that the answer to that question is partially yes, and that it's being served by other means, and that it's why YouTube you know, is owned by Google, right, not by Paramount. Um, you know what I mean? It's like a different, a different distribution. Other companies are doing that business because the movies refuse to define themselves in that way. Yeah. So read that article, though. It's a good article, Marketing Myopia by Theodore Levitt. You can find it at dallascap.com uh, and a bunch of other places. Just Google it, and it's, it's a good read. Huh. Excellent. Hey, let's, uh, let's, go, uh, let's go on to another one. Dan from Canada writes in. Uh, this is Dan from the frozen wasteland, his words, not mine, of Ontario, Canada. I can be found at 43 degrees, 58 minutes north, and 78 degrees, 10 minutes west. Uh, and he's going to he he wants to keep it brief, so he's going to limit himself to a statement, an observation, and a question. Uh, the statement is that you guys are totally awesome. It's thoroughly refreshing to find a website where interesting, intelligent, articulate people discuss things logically, reasonably, and frankly, hilariously. Well, thank you very much, Dan. Uh, it's it's. Uh, thoroughly refreshing to find an audience for the kind of <laughs> for the kind of ridiculousness that we want to take very very seriously. Uh, next, the observation every time Parrot says every, uh, anything, I have to do a double take because he sounds very much like Jamie Heineman from Miss, Mythbusters. It's uncanny. And finally, the question, uh, given your obvious love for and depth of knowledge about popular culture, have any of you heard or played the web browser game Kingdom of Loathing, because apparently Dan found out about the Overthinking It podcast from someone mentioning it on the Kingdom of Loathing podcast. So, hey, Mr. Kingdom of Loathing, uh, you're not named here, the creator-owner. Uh, hey, write in, say hi, you know, let's, uh, let's cross-promote here. Um, and that is all... Uh, that's all pretty much from Dan from Canada. Uh, Kingdom of Loathing, Matt, you said you heard of it, right? Yeah, it's it's a, a multiplayer role playing game that I believe is is a, like a like a a text based or not text based but like really crude like stick figure graphics. So it's like a parody of World of Warcraft, basically. But the, but the the gist is that you actually do play it. Like you actually have an account. You create a character. There are various character classes, which are sort of parodies of real character classes, and you you do sort of collect gold pieces and buy items and whatnot. So it's sort of like it's as is the best satire. It's like at once a fully functional role playing game and also like a deconstruction of what you know online role playing games are. Sure, but Blinky, can, can you get unironically addicted to it like you can with World of Warcraft? I well, I don't, I don't know. I'm I'm not. 
I've been fascinated by online role-playing games, to tell you the truth. And I've sort of avoided getting into them just because, like, I don't have the time to, you know, be, you know, kill, like, 5,000 wolves. So I have enough money to, like, afford that, like, sword. That allows me. <laughs> Why do you get money for killing a wolf? Well, I don't know, because maybe they're eating the crops or the livestock The or wolf something. is not, not carrying money. How do you it's think a, the wolf takes it's the bus? The world of Warcraft. <laughs> I don't know how this world works. <laughs> uh, actually, I'm looking at uh, I'm looking at the website now. It's actually really fantastic. Uh, the Kingdom of Loathing uh, and the um, stick figure holding a sword in one hand and a martini glass in the other. <laughs> <laughs> and the tagline is "The adventurer is you." No, an adventurer is you. An adventurer. <laughs> oh, right. God, I'm not even getting the joke. <laughs> oh, and they have T-shirts. We should start playing. Oh yeah, we should start playing this. That's that's awesome. Wow, pop culture right. recommendation: Kingdom of Loathing. So, listeners and readers, if the if you, the, the, we start, if, we, if you notice that uh, there's a lack of articles and podcasts on the site, because <laughs> we've all gotten sucked into playing Kingdom of Loathing, and you can so. blame Dan from Canada. For yeah. that, <laughs> there's um, only one of them, sure. So moving we'll on, know where hey, I'm I'm great with like we have a this is like international like international day. Everywhere non- around the world, <laughs> we're listening to overthinking it <laughs> today. Uh, Amy from Germany writes, "Hello." Uh, while I'm not at oh, and we mentioned uh, this is Amy who we mentioned. Uh, I think a couple episodes ago. She says, while I'm not a service member risking my security clearance to email you from a secure location in a combat zone, I am the spouse of a a service member currently serving in Iraq. My lat long is 49.75 degrees north, uh, 11.99 degrees east, and that is in... uh, that is in Germany, and Amy uh, is a devotee of Night Court, which is, you know, always a winner in my book, uh, writes in and listens to the podcast while her husband is on a tour of duty in Iraq, and uh, her husband, whose name I believe is also Matt, uh, says uh, says hi, and oh, actually, when we mentioned them a couple a while ago, and, and actually pledged to... Um, we pledged to send an overthinking it care package to the uh, to the people at FOB Caldwell uh, Forward Operations Base Caldwell Operating Base um, near Kirkush, uh, and we we are actually assembling it. Some things have been purchased. More things are being purchased. I, I it's we shouldn't give away what we're sending, right? We should leave some things up to surprise. Yeah, but suffice it to say, it will be a multimedia. Uh, extravaganza, uh, but it will only include one food group, which is jerky. <laughs> um, and so, actually, we we mentioned them, and apparently, Amy called uh, when when she got her. I, I'm actually really honored that you 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 know what must be an extremely limited phone conversation uh, with your spouse uh, there in Iraq uh, that you spent some time talking about us, but. Uh, 
uh, the, uh, Matt from Iraq dictates this. Hello from Iraq. Uh, want to first thank you for giving Amy, me, and the soldiers here a shout out. It means the world to the men that you're giving us a little airtime. What's more is that you want to put together a care package. Uh, I know Pete mentioned the knockoff DVDs we get from the Iraqis. Uh, where we are, they're hard to come by, and since we don't have a PX near us, purchasing anything is different. Uh, Rather was right about only being able to rent movies on major bases, not in Iraq. Uh, our FOB, Forward Operating Base, doesn't have the internet. Uh, we have an internet cafe where we can spend 30 to 45 minute intervals online when it's working. So downloading things is hard to do. So uh, he gives some suggestions for the, uh, for the care package. Uh, and says that it will all be uh, gratefully, uh, it will all be uh, greatly appreciated. Well, not as much as we appreciate your service, uh, Matthew, and all the the soldiers are with you. Uh, If you want anything, oh, and this is the crucial part. If you want anything from Iraq, let me know. It's the least (laughs) I can do for you guys uh, for being so thoughtful. Now, I definitely definitely want something from Iraq. I don't know I don't know what though. A, bar- a barrel of crude oil. <laughs> yeah, that would that would be great. Some sort of comic book, a, no, a local comic book. I yeah, remember some I kind went- of local pop cultural artifact that right like or a, a like an Iraqi movie or something or you know uh, an Iraqi television broadcast or, or whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. Something like that, right? Comic book is probably best because it's yeah, easily the portable. The Seinfeld of Iraqi TV is that's what we want. <laughs> <laughs> like, I was what's all- the deal with uh, jihad. I don't know. Somebody, <laughs> huh, huh, huh. Um, <laughs> you know, right? Like, I, I guess, like asking for weapons that you've confiscated from from enemy soldiers. Okay, do that. That's great. <laughs> or like a piece of like a souvenir, like a piece of one of Saddam's palaces or something, like a tile <laughs> that you've shipped out of one of Saddam's. One uh, of those crazy fantasy portraits of a chicken, a naked chicken, a dragon that he had all over his house. <laughs> <laughs> or like right. a recreation of it on a cocktail napkin. Yes, no, we do not. We do not <laughs> encourage looting. Uh, we do not encourage looting, but we, uh, we do, uh, we, we are, we're working on your care package. Absolutely. And, uh, we will send it to you, uh, certainly before I move (laughs) because that's going to take up all my time for a while. Anyway. So, uh, this is what we never got to from Amy. Uh, she actually asked a pop culture question. In the spirit of your last podcast, I have a little feminist topic to bring to the table. I present to the panel the topic of the buddy comedy. There ha- there's been a surge of movies like this, kind of bromance. She means also, like, I think we call this bromances also, right? Uh, predominantly geared towards male perspective. The Hangover, I Love You Man. Uh, hilarious, raunchy, sometimes hilarious, raunchy. Um, why are there no female buddy comedies and she gives a bunch of suggestions but um but let's just leave it at the question uh why no female buddy comedies well i think i just sort of saw one today on the bolt bus coming back from- <laughs> <laughs> to, to new york and that would be sisterhood of the traveling pants both one and two um i should know that they did choose to play the second installment of it on the bus today which is a great insult to those of us who hadn't seen the first one Thanks a lot, Bolt Bus. Yeah, anyway, spoiler yeah, alert. Makes, yeah, that is an example, I would say, of a female buddy comic. And also an example of a very bad like, McDuffie. But, but of course, like, in, that, in that movie, much like in the Sex and the City movie, don't all four of the girls, aren't they sort of consumed with relationships with men? Um, the parts that I actually looked up from a magazine to notice, yes. 
So, I mean, and the pants, and the pants, the pants are the pants are very important. As I said, this is. Oh wait, McGuffin. is there actually really a pair of pants? Oh oh oh, oh yes. The, the pants are. are the framing device. They they they're magical pants that can change size to fit all four of the girls uh, well, even though they're they're various shapes. <laughs> so I don't think wait, is that, is that part actually true. And in, so in what sense are they specifically like yeah, the pants? Tra- <laughs> Oh, I was just saying the pants don't – I don't think they necessarily describe the pants like growing or shrinking. I think that the pants just fit everybody. So like right, I don't think right, it's I, that, I, oh, I, man, I look at this magical there, There's pants. no magic that actually takes place except for the magic of friendship. They're just pants <laughs> that happen to fit <laughs> girls equally well and so that they decide that they will have joint custody of the pants. And the pants are mailed back and forth. And for, I haven't seen the movie, but I'm assuming that, like, as each girl wears the pants, their plot line is resolved. <laughs> well, I will, I'll also say that buddy comedies with guys in them are often fixated on relationships with women, just as frequently as buddy comedies yeah, with women are yeah, fixated yeah, on relationships yeah, with women. Yeah, right, Swingers right, and the woman Swingers, is... Uh, the Hangover is all about a bachelor party. Yeah, and the woman... You know, right, the woman um, is... man, he's getting married. I mean, uh, Wedding Crashers is a pretty good one. Well, right. And in yeah, all of these yeah, cases, yeah. the woman is simultaneously uh, this sort of long-for object, but also a real, threat to, a, a, a real threat to the bonds among the men. To the bromance, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, like, I'm thinking, I'm thinking of, like, Jason Biggs and, Saving uh, Silverman. That was the one I was just thinking of. Yeah, well, where it's... Yeah, I like that. Exactly. Where it's, you know, Silverman is being saved from what? Yes. From a bad marriage. I think, right? Right, from the hot girl from, uh, from uh, yeah. Studio 60. Oh, really? Yeah, it's Amanda Peet is, is the girl that he needs to be saved yeah. from. But it's like, right, like, so, mm. you know, there are these, um, well, yeah, I mean, I guess the women in these things, I'm thinking of, of now, like, of School of Rock, where Sarah Silverman, uh, no relation to Saving Silverman, uh, plays the shrewish, the shrewish wife who is finally put in her place when you know Jack Black and once his name established the School of Rock. But then, but then there's like um, the uh, uh, Jason Siegel one. Uh, what was it? Uh, forgetting Sarah Marshall, right? Mm. That uh, there is both the you know kind of clingy, needy woman, but then there's there's uh, Mila Kunis, Mila Kunis, Mila Kunis. Mila, I believe. Mila Kunis. Um, I'm just going to say that to give it some authority. <laughs> who, you know, who is cool, uh, but she's cool because, you know, in certain respects, she's like one of the guys. So, so wait, can I, you, I broke, I was breaking this down before the podcast. I'm going to break it down again. Right. Because here's the thing. You're, they're looking at it backwards. You shouldn't be looking for a female version of a male buddy comedy because male buddy comedies are already the male version of romantic comedies. They're pretty much exactly the same. You know, you've got the two people and you know that they're supposed to be together, but there's always something awkward and they're not going to get along at first. And there's always something else that the person could do, but then they have to realize, oh, this is the person I should be with the whole time. But then it doesn't work out and then there's a problem and they have to get back together. Like it is beat for beat a lot of the time. Buddy comedies are designed to be romantic comedies. And one of the most confounding facts of writing in Hollywood, as I've read, read in multiple sources, is that. Women go to see man movies, but men don't go to see women movies unless they go with women. So you try to figure out ways to trick dudes to go to chick movies. And one of the ways you do that is the buddy comedy, which is the same thing as like four weddings and a funeral. Not four weddings and a funeral. It's like the same thing as – I'm trying to think of uh, – I was going to – 
name check some random Hugh Grant romantic comedy, but as far as I'm concerned, they're all the same. Um, Notting, it's the same thing. Notting Hill, right? What is Notting Hill about? About a boy, uh, maybe. Julia Roberts is a celebrity, and he's not. And can it work? Right, and then right. you could envision a buddy comedy that's exactly the same, where it's like you know, it's it's maybe call it like uh, like like you know, you call Shatner it bromance, Brody Jenner. Yep. What? No, that oh, was yes. the Brody Jenner TV series. That's right. Actually, so Brody Jenner, that's basically Notting Hill, is what it is. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> it's the same thing, except except that there's more challenges. Except and, with yeah, with Brody Jenner in the Julia Roberts role. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Most of the show took place in a hot tub. <laughs> Notting Hill is not PG thirteen, or maybe it's PG thirteen, but it's not rated R. There's not a lot of hot tub action going on. Right. So, Actually, I mean, you my- know, that is something where where like movies are already kind of niche movies where, you know, they talk about quadrants, right? Male and female and uh, like above 35 and below 35 or 45 yeah. or 55 or something like that. And so, you know, a really great, like a really home run kind of movie from a marketing perspective is a movie with um, with like four quadrant appeal. You yeah. Know? Like, what would be a good example? Titanic. Uh, yeah, Titanic, I guess. Well, because older women like it, younger women like it, older men like it, and younger men like it. Right, because it has it has because it has action. You said, yeah, yeah. It's an adventure story, and there's like you know that there's this big thing, and you know it's also going to be like a special effects extravaganza. And there's also boobies in it. Right, they put boobies in it. Yep. Think about all the guys who went to see that movie just to see Kate Winslet's chest. I guarantee you, it was a big number. Big yeah. number. I'm raising my hand right now. You can't. Tell. <laughs> I'm glad it's your hand. Thank you very much. I'm actually I'm googling it. Kate Winslet's chest right now. So that you know she's married. You shouldn't be googling it like that. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that dude, that director, that guy that I don't like. McGee. No, <laughs> but yes, Sam Mendes. Yeah. <laughs> you don't like? Who's yeah, it? yeah. You know who else didn't like Sam Mendes? Who? Hitler. all right uh we're you know we're 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 past the hour mark but we're going to push through and get these last two voicemails in uh one of our one of our uh listeners podcast (laughs) uh someone calls in with this correction of my pronunciation of polish from the last podcast hi there thinkers this is foshana and matthew we talked about polish food last week we pronounced it as Pieczone gołąbki. Repeat after me. Pieczone gołąbki. Greetings from the other side of the pond. So that is that is from <laughs> Poland. Pieczone. That so- might be my favorite voicemail ever. That was hilarious. <laughs> How did you pronounce it wrong? Well, the, what I said, my, my mother is Polish by way of Cleveland, Ohio. So right. I said like <laughs> Pieczone gołąbki. Or something like that, you know, which is which is how she said it, and how her father, her Polish father, said it. So, um, so let's let's hear that one more time. We pronounce it as pieczone gołąbki. Repeat after me: pieczone gołąbki. Pieczone gołąbki. What is the thing that we are pronouncing? It's a stuffed cabbage. <laughs> Stuffed with wait, it's it's a cabbage that's stuffed with what? Like another cabbage? No, it's a, it, like stuffed with stuffing, stuffed with you know a starch and some kind of meat and some. There are different so kinds of surprise. There are different kinds of kumpkis as I as I or I'm sorry, I, I 
uh, I, <laughs> I'm sorry, can you tell me one more time, how do you say it? You pronounce it as Pichone Gowampki. <laughs> Thanks very much. <laughs> Pich- <laughs> the name of this podcast. <laughs> uh, okay, okay, deal. <laughs> um, hey, it really is international hour. It's because mm. we, uh, we have London, we had Ontario, Canada, we had Germany and Iraq, uh, mm-hmm. we have Poland, and finally... Uh, hey, this is Daniel from Brisbane. Uh, you already have my uh, my exact location from a previous message. Uh, and as before, I have two things. First, the pop culture pick, something I just saw today and I could not pass up the opportunity of uh, sharing. It's a book called Pride and Prejudice with Zombies. And it's advertised with the opening line saying, it is a truth universally acknowledged that a zombie in possession of brains must be in want of more brains. Um, okay, other than that, uh, I have something for you guys to overthink. Um, and that is the song Stay to Heaven. I've tried for ages and ages to work out what on earth that song is actually about. I cannot work out at all. Okay, so I think he says Stairway to Heaven. You get you got cut off in the middle of the, the voicemail a little bit. But it's stairway. it's obviously Stairway to Heaven, right? Well, do, do you sure. want to address the zombie thing first? Well, it's it's awesome. Pride and Prejudice with zombies. No, but see, I, I actually don't think it's awesome. Oh dear. <laughs> I I love I love the idea of a zombie book written in the style of Jane Austen. But what Pride and Prejudice and Zombies actually is is the entire text of Pride and Prejudice plus maybe like five to ten percent new material about zombies. So basically, it's like most of what you're paying for is just a Pride and Prejudice, which is with crap. like you know. It's basically like 20 or 30 pages of new material. It's very lazy, basically. As somebody who's I, tried I, I to feel like it's very lazy. I mean, in a way, it's kind of more interesting from an art, like, as like an art project to take the original text and add zombie interludes, but to leave the original text intact. But it's less interesting as like a fun beach read. You know, I mean, I, I would love the idea if they wrote like a whole Victorian English women fight zombie things, but like the guy didn't want to do that. And that's, it's just sort of annoys me because I feel like it's like a wasted opportunity to write so, like a fun book. So good idea, but falls down in the execution, in fact. I mean, I, I didn't read it, but like I lost all interest in reading it when I found out what it really was. So are Got you going to write Gaunt with the Brains, the the zombie novel of the during Bellum South? Yeah, I mean, I think that that would be a funny novel. I think that it would not be funny to take the entire text of Gaunt with the Wind and every 50 pages add like two pages of new stuff about zombies. Yeah, it would be a long, long, hard slog to rewrite that it whole would, book. It- it would, I mean, you know, which is that's what zombie books are all about. Is long. I don't know nothing about fighting no zombies. Uh, yeah, no, with God as my witness, I will never be hungry for brains again. <laughs> all right, with, let's with go out. Like your, let's, uh, go, let's go. Let's go out on uh, interpretations of um, interpretations of. Uh, and he says this is mostly. Oh, you know what? We didn't play the second half of the of the the call where he says that this is mostly for uh, mostly for Mark Lee. And I love I love that you know among the audience of our podcast, I love that they know you know the stuff that we're into, right? Yeah. I'm- I, someone I don't know if you noticed this, but someone at replied me on Twitter. Well, I keep posting pictures of like me packing up my apartment, so you know I have my whole library in boxes stacked up in the basement, and I posted a picture of that on Twitter, and someone at replied me on Twitter and it was like, well, I hope all of those boxes are filled with copies of Paradise Lost. 
<laughs> and you know, it's it's like yes, absolutely. They know I'm an insufferable snob. Even even strangers know I am an insufferable snob. So I just want to respond to that quickly. First of all, I'm honored and flattered that um, you know uh, that you would consider me capable of taking down the lyrics of Stairway to Heaven. Um, I, if I had to guess, probably that comes from the the massive de- deconstruction of the lyrics of Chinese democracy that I did a while back, and some other of the entries of the musical Talmud that myself and other writers have contributed to. Um, but it's, I was thinking about, you know, that's, it's kind of a logical thing, right, to, to take to... At first, it may seem like it's a logical thing to try to overthink the lyrics to Stairway to Heaven. But in some ways, it's almost like a kind of shy... I shy away from it a little bit. Um, when thinking about you know the different types of of, of, of songs that we've deconstructed, it, it kind of gets back to this whole credo of overthinking it, right? Which is subjecting the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve, right? Um, in other words, like something like the lyrics of "Don't Stop Believing," or you know, which is kind of a throwaway '80s pop song, or Chinese Democracy, which is you know Axl Rose's um, you know overwrought uh, you know overwrought you know, self-anchorizing work. Um, those aren't wor- worth, you know, a whole lot of scrutiny. But Stairway to Heaven is a solid gold classic, and people have been trying to get the meaning of these lyrics for decades. Um, and somehow that's like kind of subjecting a, pop, the, a work of popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably does deserve. That's, <laughs> that's, that's kind of my, my initial thought of that. It's like, ooh, Stairway, ooh, can't touch that. It's almost like, you know, Deconstruct Godfather. Uh, ooh, can't do that. I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's sort of... Um... It, it predicts the current financial crisis that's ravaging the, gr- the globe. Because I think, I don't know, I, I, I really have to, to look at it line by line, but there's a lady who's sure all that glitters is gold, and she's buying a stairway to heaven. It's about somebody who thinks that, sh- that, that, that she's accumulating wealth, but in fact there's the, there's the implication that like it's all just a sham, it's all just a mirage. Oh, okay. I'll, I'll I'll take that ball and run with it. Um, yeah. After I just said that, I was I was you know afraid of touching this. Um, because we get to the end of the the epic, the climactic part of the end, which and as we wind on down the road, our shadows taller than our soul. Now I have I don't think I've ever heard a better description of over leveraging than that. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> That's true. Taller than our soul. Clearly, she's some sort of post-repeal of Glass-Steagall financial institution. (laughs) (laughs) No, it makes sense. Because if there's a bustle in your hedgerow, you shouldn't be alarmed. You should just buy some derivatives to hedge your position in your hedgerow. (laughs) And and there are two paths you can go by, but because you've hedged your position, you're protected against the volatility. Um, Right, exactly. Right. right. And then, so, there walks a lady we all know who shines white light and wants to show how everything still turns to gold you know and right, if you, it's, like, it's, like, it's about like Wall Street to, wants to be bullish you know they're looking for you know they're looking for optimism they're looking you know and and i think i think what led up is telling us is that it's going to be a long slow recovery and that we right. shouldn't get too optimistic but that, the pipe, but that but the there is there is oh. yeah no you go pete I was saying the Piper is either Alan Greenspan or Jim Cramer, but I can't figure out which one he is. <laughs> there's, um, so, but the, uh, there's a hopeful message, I think, at last, because it's, you know, and if you listen very hard, the tune will come to you at last, when all are one and one is all, to be a rock and not to roll, to be a rock and not to roll, right? It's about, uh, it's about... Um, communism, right? 
well, when no, all I are th- one and one is all. They're saying that like capitalism is is evil and needs to be done away with entirely. <laughs> <laughs> no, right. it's actually the instructions as to how to service your 1968 Ford Charger, uh, <laughs> which isn't even a real kind of car. I'm sure I screwed that up. But there's a sign on the wall. But you need to be sure that when you're pulling out the the dipstick to check the oil levels, that there's a songbird that's singing. Uh, <laughs> should, do we want to? Do want to actually seriously approach this for a second or no? Oh, is it not I even thought this was this it. I thought oh, this. Yeah. Was... <laughs> oh no! Yeah, yeah. We, are we not. <laughs> oh, okay, I think my thought is that Stairway to Heaven is pretty much a rehashing of Sailing to Byzantium by by uh, W. B. Yeats, and it's a discussion of the sort of angst associated with the inevitable march of time and aging, and, and the feeling of age and of the loss of age juxtaposed against a goldenness that's associated with permanence, right? It's the tension between somebody who feels like the world is passing and the idea that you can make something or buy something or have something of value that's permanent and that there's a sort of a sort of a sad, sick feeling to that, right? Right, and here's uh, – and I'm going to – Pete, to buttress your argument, I'm going to quote a little bit from the third verse here, which is there's a feeling I get when I look to the West – to the west, the place the sun sets, right? Uh, so, you know, which is about time passing and also about death. And, my and the source st- of capitalism. West. <laughs> I'm not going to let that one go. And my spirit is crying for leaving. Yeah. Right? That's a, that's a very interesting gerund. There. I, I, think it, I think it's very specifically that, a reference to Tolkien, I think. I think there's a lot of references to Tolkien in the piece. He's talking about, like, the feelings of the elves wanting to pass out of Middle-earth into the West on the gray ships. Wait, are you joking? Uh, no, I'm not joking. <laughs> um, there, there are a number of Tolkien references throughout Led Zeppelin's lyrics that indicate that they're pretty familiar with the work um, and that, they, that there's something that influences them. Right, the song Misty Mountain Hop is also on the same album, as Stairway to Heaven. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Yeah. So, well there see. you go. Can I uh, can I um uh, this is maybe stupid, but I once wrote parody lyrics to um to uh Stairway to Heaven and I would like to recite them to you now. By all means. Uh it's uh it goes like this. Uh there's this girl that I like holds my hand, rides my bike, 1 to 10, she's a 6 or a 7. Uh-huh. Uh, so my best friend proposed, if the shops aren't all closed, that I buy a nice present for Devin. And so the guy goes to Victoria's Secrets and looks around uh, and says, there's a G-string and thong. What I'm feeling is wrong. Grown-ups stare, and I don't know what to do. Yet I somehow can't wait till I can intimate naughty things on her ha-ha and hoo-hoo. Anyway, it's about a guy in high school is trying to to buy like a lingerie for his girlfriend for uh for um Christmas and uh you know it's about growing up. <laughs> <laughs> Good lord man, you are the financial crisis. <laughs> oh yeah, it's also about the financial crisis because <laughs> he can't afford to to have a car. He rides a bike. But it, I mean, if if all you have is the lack of money to buy a hammer, everything looks like a nail. You know, <laughs> I'm just I'm just saying that like everything starts to look like like an analogy about the financial crisis now. <laughs> Well, I guess so. Um, all right, we're we're coming up on an hour and a half here, so we're going to wrap it up. Um, 
Yes. So we are just going to wrap it up there. But if you have heard anything or you want to be one of these awesome listeners who sends us feedback, uh, you can do it in a number of ways. You can leave a comment on the show notes. You can use the contact form on the site. You can call the voicemail, which is 20EATLOG01. That's 203-285-6401. Or you can email podcast at overthinkingit.com. And actually, Emil, who was our, our, our Polish correspondent, uh, did something interesting where he recorded an MP3 on his computer, and to save himself the long-distance call, he just emailed that MP3 uh, attached to an email to podcast at overthinkingit.com, which is another way to do it. And that way you can, you know, I don't know, increase the production values of your audio comment, I suppose, and, uh, you know, add music, intros, outros, bumpers. You can edit out the ums and stuff like that. Not that we go to trouble like that to make the show. So uh, that is us. And, uh, you know, that is it for this week. But you can always find us on the web at overthinkingit.com, the site where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It probably doesn't deserve. Today! I just want you to know you're nothing like Hitler. Thank you, Matt. That means a lot to me. She's buying a stairway, a stairway to, to, to Hitler. <laughs> 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 I'm sorry. <laughs>